Hello, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 48 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and I am back from a quick trip to sunny Florida, although I have to admit it was like high 60s, low 70s there, and I came back to New York and it's low 60s here, so the temperature difference was not that stark, not nearly as much as you would expect at this time of year, but nonetheless, it was my first trip ever to the well, not to the west coast of Florida. I've been there before, but this was my first trip to Longboat Key in the Sarasota area where my best friend from college was getting married. There are very few people who I would miss out on a portion of the season to attend their wedding. This friend is one of them. It was amazing. It was sort of a reunion of sorts for me and probably 12 to 15 of our closest friends from college. First time we had all been together in the same place in a very long time. Amazing wedding, amazing time, lots of great seafood. Definitely loved that area. I've been to the Tampa area, which is about an hour away, but Longboat Key is is really, really beautiful. Uh, the, the Gulf, the water there, I mean, everything was outstanding. It was a lot of fun. I was able to catch a good portion, and I DVR'd some of it and watched later, of the Rangers games Friday in Edmonton. Monday against the Panthers. The one I didn't really see much of was Saturday in Calgary. That was the night of the rehearsal dinner, although from the looks of it and from what I heard from other people and and highlights and stats and all that, does not look like I missed a whole lot in that one. But now I'm back. I was at practice on Wednesday for the Rangers, what they're calling at least recovery week. They played on Monday against the Panthers, a 4-3 to win. Now, they don't play again until Saturday in Columbus. I'll be making that trip to Ohio when the Rangers play the Blue Jackets. And I think that this is a really, really important time for them, which we're going to get into in just a moment. Before I forget, I want to make sure that I tease at the top of the show our guest this week, who is a a guy that I think a lot of you are going to like hearing from and a lot of you I would encourage following on Twitter and the like. Alex Thomas, he's the new play-by-play guy for the Hartford Wolfpack, which is, of course, the Rangers' AHL affiliate, their minor league team. A lot of their highly rated prospects are playing for that team right now, and Alex has been with them every step of the way so far. So he came on the show. You'll hear from him in a few minutes. Gave us a full rundown of everything that's been going on with Hartford, how the prospects have been looking, what's been going on with the team, how guys are being used. Really interesting conversation with him. So I I think you guys are going to enjoy that one, which we'll get to in just a little bit. But as for the Rangers, now I mentioned I was in Florida getting a little sun, having some drinks, seeing some old friends. Definitely a welcome reprieve for a couple days, but I was keeping my eye on things here. And obviously now I've been back for a couple days been talking to a lot of different people and had a chance to go to practice, which was a longer than usual practice today on Wednesday. The Rangers were off on Tuesday. Now they're going to practice three days in a row, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading into that game in Columbus. This is the first chance that they're having now since the season started to really have a period of time like this where they sort of get back to the basics. Uh, Gallant called it a refresher. Ryan Strom called it a recovery week. They have been go, go, go since the beginning of the season. Uh, Of their first 12 games, nine of them were on the road. They've had two instances where they played three games in four nights. It's really been a grueling schedule. I know people don't like to hear that as an excuse, and we've talked about it on this show before, that 
I don't think it is the kind of thing that you're going to dismiss other issues because of. But at the same time, it does need to be taken into account. And the Rangers have really had to just go from one city to the next with very little time to make corrections or tweaks or adjustments in between. And it's shown. It really has shown. In their last five games, the record looks okay. They're 2-1-2. and Overall this season, the record looks pretty damn good. They're 7-3-3. But I think the realization that the team has come to, that we've heard them now sort of admit more frequently and talk about a little more openly, is that they know the way that they're playing is not good enough. We've talked about it at length, how good Igor Shosturkin has been and how he has covered up the the warts for this team. Obviously, you are what your record says you are to a certain degree, but anybody who's watched this team night in and night out knows that there have been way too many lapses. There have been way too many inconsistencies. There, there are issues at five on five. There are even strength issues, I think, have come to the forefront. The power play has gotten a little bit better. It's up over 20% now. The PK has been a little hot and cold, but overall it's been solid enough. I, I don't really blame this on the special teams. I don't even know that I so much blame this on the lineup or the line combinations or anything along those lines. I just think that no matter what combinations Gallant has put out there, and he's tried a bunch of different stuff, the Rangers are just not getting it done. They are not generating enough offense. And then we can dive into some of these numbers. I wrote about a lot of this today. But you look at whether it's Corsi, where they rank second to last in the league, I believe. Whether it's expected goals against, where they rank last in the league. Whether it's actual goals uh, for, I should say, at even strength, they rank last in the league or, or close to last in the league. All these categories, they're in the bottom three or four of the league. Shots on goal is a big one, and that was one that Gallant talked about today. For every 60 minutes they play at even strength, they're averaging under 23 shots on goal. That is by far the worst in the league. The Chicago Blackhawks are the next closest team, and they're like two shots better. So the Rangers aren't shooting enough. They're not possessing the puck enough. They are not generating enough scoring chances. If you look at whether it's regular scoring chances or high danger scoring chances for and against, those percentages, the Rangers also rank last in the league. So the fact is, they're giving up way too much on defense. And, and that is the, the thing that Gallant seems to be focused on the most. Today, he talked a lot about the defensive zone coverage, and that was one of the focuses at practice. But you can't talk about that without acknowledging the fact that the Rangers are turning the puck over too much. They don't have enough offensive zone time. And when they do have the puck in the offensive zone, they are not getting to the dirty areas and they are not shooting the puck enough. It, it's Gallant paints it out as simple stuff. He wants them to shoot the puck more. He wants them to get to the net more. He wants them to be creating chances from those high danger areas, the slot, the net front, the things that we've talked about quite a bit. And they're just not doing enough of that. Could the lines maybe be shaken up and, and help that in some regard? I think so to, to a certain extent. But at the same time, if Sabinajad isn't producing, if Panarin isn't producing, if the kids are continuing to struggle, and we're going to talk about that more in the in the later portion of the show when we get to your Twitter questions, Lafreniere, Kako, Heedle is out right now. It, those are the guys that you're counting on to produce offense for this team. Adam Fox is off to a great start, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot to feel good about 
unless you're talking about the goaltending, of course. So obviously there are issues here. And, and the way that they are winning does not feel like a sustainable model to continue throughout the season. And they know that. I, I think the acknowledgement is probably the first step toward fixing the problem. And now what you have in these next three days is an opportunity to, number one, rest up. And Ryan Strom talked about the importance of that today. He said, in the moment when you're going through those road trips, you don't really stop and think about it. But he said as soon as he got home, and especially on Tuesday when they had the day off, he goes, I slept a ton, and I could just tell that I really needed it. I'm sure a lot of players feel that way. But the second thing, and and probably the most important thing here, is that they take this opportunity to tighten things up. And Strom, when I asked him today, is it fair to say that you guys are still learning this system as much as they talk about it being a simple system, they are still adjusting to a new head coach. And and I do believe that you have to have a little leeway and margin for error when it comes to that. But Strom said, if you look at what's happening, especially the, the third period, just here's another quick stat. I'm throwing a lot of stats at you guys, but here's another quick stat. In the last four games, the Rangers have allowed 11 third period goals. They've only scored one. So that is very indicative of how they've been playing. And and especially when you consider these late game collapses, everybody we talked to today said that is absolutely something that needs to be addressed. But getting back to what Strom was saying, if you look at a lot of these mistakes late in the games, it's not so much about the system as it is about individual mental lapses, individual mistakes, whether it's losing track of your man, letting him get behind you, whether it's turning a puck over that leads to an odd man rush for the other team, whether it's taking a bad penalty. There are a lot of things that the Rangers are doing right now in these crucial situations that aren't helping them win games. Of course, they keep getting bailed out by their goalie, which is why instead of being 0-4-1 0-4-1 or 0-5 in these last five games when they really have not played well. They're 2-1-2. and So that later on in the season, we could look back on this once they get their act together and start playing better and say, wow, they're really lucky that even when they were going through these struggles, they were still collecting points. And that could be ultimately what helps them get into the playoffs. But if they don't correct this stuff pretty soon, you have to believe it's going to lead to more losses. So In these next three days, whether it's video work, whether it's practice work, whether it's lineup tweaks, whether it's some kind of speech in the locker room, and Strom made it sound like this is definitely something that they are talking about within the locker room as teammates, that they need to get this stuff together. He specifically told the story of after the game in Seattle, when the Rangers were outshot, I think, 34 to 18, and somehow squeaked out a win, he said the plane was was dead quiet. Uh, on the trip that they took from there to Vancouver. He said it was a somber mood because deep down they knew that they did not play a good game. And they've had a few of those recently where they did not play a good game, happened to get on Monday against Florida, and yet they still somehow come out with a win. So they have to figure out how to make this more of a complete team effort. Because if they don't, that 7-3-3 and record will not look that good for very long. So we can talk about the record and say, you got to feel good about it. And that's fair. That's valid. I think the the big debate I've been seeing with fans recently is what do we make of this start? You know, do we put stock into the record or do we put stock into the underlying numbers? The answer has to be both. But if you're asking me, what do I see as more of a representation of how good this team has been so far? To me, I lean more toward the fact that 
they've had a lot of bad games that have been covered up by their goaltending. And that is something that needs to be corrected. It's, it's way, way, way too early to hit the panic button, especially when you have the record that they have, but they need to attack this situation with urgency right now is their time to regroup, get their stuff together, make any corrections they need to make, and then go into Columbus because then they start another stretch of three games in four days. Columbus, then they come back home to play Jersey and Montreal. And and those are all winnable games, let's be honest. Those are not the, the best teams in the league that they're playing right there. They need to come out of that stretch feeling like they've improved. They've tightened things up. They've made the corrections that they need to make. And again, now is the time to do it. So that was kind of the focus of my story on Wednesday. I would encourage everybody to go to loha.com slash sports slash Rangers to check that one out. I do think that this is an important week for the Rangers. They're not playing many games, but it's an important week because it's a chance for them to show that they can adjust, show that they can improve, show that they can learn from their mistakes. All right. With that, we're going to get to our interview with Alex Thomas, and then I will be back following that interview to answer some of your Twitter questions. And now let's welcome into the podcast uh, a first-time guest, a new guest for us, also the new play-by-play guy for the Hartford Wolfpack, of course, the Rangers minor league affiliate in the American Hockey League. And that would be Alex Thomas, who's going to fill us in on all the stuff that's going on with Hartford right now. So, Alex, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing good. I'm getting ready for another weekend of hockey. Thanks for having me. So how, how's it been going so far? First season around Hartford? Like, tell us what this experience has been like for you. It's been a whirlwind. Uh, it's It's been also like a dream. I mean, I got down here in August and, um, you know, we started the, the preparations for the season and uh, jumped into it on October 15th with opening night. And it's it's been a, a sprint ever since, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. This is a really fun group to not just watch, but um, to kind of get to know and, and to be around as well. It's a really good group of, of players and, and coaches. So uh, it's been a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to what this season holds for this group. You, I, I don't know if fans can tell from the accent. Sounds like you're a New England guy, but I, we, <laughs> they won't hold that against you. Are you a Bruins fan? No, you know, I actually grew up um, an Edmonton Oilers fan, believe it or not. I don't think if I gave gave you 10 guesses, people would have gotten that. But yeah, uh, nah. no, I grew up an Oilers fan. And, and it's funny, I joked, um, you know, when I first came, got the job in Hartford and came down that, you know, like so many great Oilers in the past, it's like, you know, they all went to New York and, and played for the Rangers. So after, um, you know, kind of just writing and blogging about the Oilers for a good, I don't know, maybe 10 years and, and following them. Um, ended up going to the Ranger organization for, for my first professional full-time job. So um thought that was pretty ironic and a little funny. Well, that will be easier for Rangers fans to stomach than if you were a Bruins fan. Although after the, what the Oilers did to them over the weekend, that's probably <laughs> a little bit of a sore subject right now too, but we won't talk. We're not going to talk about the NHL guys. We're going to shift to, to Hartford. Cause I, what, what I was just saying to you earlier, and we've, we've spoken a couple times now, what I think is interesting about this Hartford squad is that, if you look at the way that that Hartford functioned for the Rangers years ago, it wasn't a lot of guys who you felt like had a legitimate chance of impacting the NHL roster. But now that has very much changed. There are a lot of highly regarded prospects for the Rangers on this Hartford team, and they seem very committed to making sure that these guys are developed, are used a lot, used in high leverage situations. So can you just, I guess, to start us off, 
describe to fans what you're seeing as far as how some of these young prospects are being integrated into the system right now? Well, I think it depends on what position you're looking at. Um, you know, if you're looking on defense, they've been in impact spots from the get-go. Um, from game number one, Braden Schneider, Matthew Robertson, Zach Jones, they've all played uh, top four roles in this team. He didn't play the first two games, but Tarmo Reunion has been pretty consistent since that point in the lineup. Um, Hunter Skinner is a guy that maybe gets overlooked a little bit, but he's been a, a constant in the lineup as well. There was some juggling on that third pair in the start of the season, but he's... Uh, been the constant really since opening night. And I talked to Steve Smith last week and we had him on the first intermission in on Friday night's game uh, a week ago. And, and that was the guy that he brought up that was really impressive to him uh, early in the season. So you look at the defense and I know potato missed two games. Um, he was a little dinged up. He's back in the lineup now. And, and obviously he's about to hit 200 AHL games, but outside of him, this is a pretty young group, even, uh, you know, you look past uh, the five that I just mentioned, Zach Tatari has been in there as well. So you've had a lot of young defensemen playing a, a really big role in this team, not just at five on five either, especially on, on the power play and the penalty kill. Uh, Jones has been the lone defenseman on the first pairing um, of the power play. And we've seen Matthew Robertson and Braden Schneider both get some looks on the second unit as well. Um, and, and they haven't looked out of place. You know, Robertson just picked up his first point this past weekend. Um, picked up an assist. Schneider had a uh, a beautiful shorthanded assist on, on Tim Gettinger's goal on Saturday against Wilkes-Barre Scranton. So these guys are, are looking comfortable um, on defense. They're playing a big role. Uh, you can see this, this staff is putting them in positions, A, to succeed, but also in positions that when they do get to the NHL, um, and every time I, I've spoken with Steve Smith or, or Chris Knobloch, that's one of the things that they've acknowledged is, you know, we're not going to have these guys forever. You know, we know these guys are going to go up at some point. We want to put them in position so that, you know, when they get there, that they will have success and they will be prepared. And I think you can see that on a nightly basis. The development hasn't gone on a straight line. I think that's, you know, to be expected with any young defenseman. But uh, I think so far that they've been, they've been very strong and up front. Obviously, you know, Morgan Barron gets a lot of attention and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, Tim Gettinger has been outstanding and, and has been a staple in the top line with Greco and Brodzinski. Lori Payuniemi has been very good and starting to find his stride a little bit. Um, scored in each of the last two games and they were real goal scorers goals and you knew they were coming. Uh, he hit a couple of posts, not this past weekend, but the weekend prior, and he was starting to get more comfortable with the shot. In fact, we had talked about that before last weekend's games, and the lo and behold, he goes out and scores too. So um, he's a young forward that is starting to feel more comfortable, um, especially with the puck, and he's kind of slid into a top six role right now with Barron and Ronning. So, um, you know, and, and that's just some of the guys. There's so many young players in this team that are playing uh, every night. They're playing real roles in this team, and you can see – from a month ago when we opened the season to today, the improvement in pretty much all these players. Let's start with the defenseman because you started there, and I think there's a lot of intrigue in that area. Last time we spoke, it sounded like Jones had been on the top pair a lot with Potato, and then you had had Schneider-Robertson as the second pair. Has that held true, or has that moved around a little bit? I, so, but I know Potato missed two, two games. Um, I think it was two of the last four he was back in for each of the last two games. And, and there was, you know, there's some shuffling going on there. We've seen Jones and Schneider play together as well and have had success. And um, during that time, Potato and Robertson have played together and they too have had success. But, you know, one of the things with Jones playing with Potato was he's playing with a veteran partner. 
and somebody who, when he gets to the NHL eventually, um, he's going to play with with one of those responsible shutdown defensemen, and that's what Potato has been. He's been outstanding for this group, uh, not just on the ice, but as a mentor for them as well. And and we talked to him post game uh, on Saturday night after the team had a four nothing lead and and only ended up winning four to three. And he was talking about some of the lessons and some of the learning experiences that you know happen in these games. And um, he's been a really good mentor for both Jones and Robertson, and you can see the confidence for both those players. Uh, when they're playing alongside somebody who is, you know, as I said, is approaching 200 games. Um, I believe he's going to hit that if he plays both games this weekend. He would hit that next Wednesday against Bridgeport. So uh, he's got an NHL experience too. So, um, you know, you can see the confidence in, in those two guys when playing with them. But, um, you know, there's been a bit of a shuffle here and there, you, you know, going through a season with injuries and, um, you know, and the ebbs and flows of it that it's not going to be, um, maybe the same groupings every night, and there's been a little bit of change, but uh, you know that's really been the consistent top four so far this season. Jatari got some time in there, and Batetto was out, but um, you know that's kind of been the consistent group. Batetto's a guy who I think fans look at as an afterthought. Obviously, when the Rangers signed him, and and the chances of him making it onto the the, the team this year, especially now that Tenorti has sort of been signed as that seventh defenseman for for the NHL team, might be kind of slim. Uh, but at the same time, you talked a little bit about his value. He's a guy who I know teammates love because he shows up at the rink with a great attitude. And I think that you, you sort of see that value playing the role that, that you've talked about a little bit here. Jones now playing with him a lot of the time. You, I understand that he's, even though he's a left-handed shot, he's played quite a bit on the right side, which if he were to get an NHL opportunity, that versatility would obviously help him. Tell me a little bit about him, his development. Obviously, we know he was the last defenseman cut from NHL camp, so he was very close to making the Rangers roster this year. And it does seem like where, whereas the points maybe were a little slow to come early on, they, they have been coming more. I think he's up to five assists now. Yeah, he, he's been really good for this team. Um, you know, and if you watch his first game back on the 15th of October and then you watch him in the three and three this weekend. I think there's more confidence at both ends of the rink. Uh, honestly, for Zach Jones, I mean, he's made some plays with the puck in the last four or five games that have, um, that have just displayed the, the dynamic skill set that he has. And, you know, there's, I think he's a little unlucky to not have a goal right now. I mean, he had a couple of looks, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend prior where, you know, guys couldn't touch him in the offensive zone. It was really impressive to watch. And you can see the confidence when he has the puck. You can see how he thinks the game in the offensive zone. Um, you know, his passing ability is outstanding. He's really helped with the transition game. Um, you know, there were some struggles early in the season, but I think with the puck, he, he's been one of their better defensemen this year. And I think you've seen him as well defensively. Um, and we may note this in the broadcast. I think it was both Friday and Saturday night he made some plays in the D zone where he was displaying a confidence that he didn't have in the first few games of the season. And you can see that, you know, through 10, 11, 12 games, he's grown as a player. Uh, and it's been impressive to watch him. He's definitely more confident in his positioning in the D zone. Um, he's been winning more battles along the wall, winning more battles down low, which I think helps him. Um, you know, and you mentioned he played on the right side with potato. Um, we've seen him on the left side as well with, with Braden Schneider. We've seen him on the left side a little bit, um, you know, the game that Potato was initially a little banged up in. There was, uh, you know, obviously a shuffle in that sense. And he was on the left with a few different partners uh, on different shifts. And, and you know, before things kind of settled in, it was he and Schneider. But uh, he's played both sides. You can see on the power play, you know, that's the one part of, of the Wolfpack's game as a whole 
that is still kind of finding its way right now is the power play, but they've been getting chances and he's been a big part of that on the top unit um, with the three forwards up front, getting Jer Brodzinski, Greco, and then Morgan Barron. Um, you know, things have kind of been going through him from the blue line and they're getting chances, but it's just not falling right now. But Jones has been, been really good. Um, you could definitely see the improvement away from the puck for him. You can see his defensive game growing. And really, I think that's all you can ask. And, um, you know, I think he's, like I said, a little unlucky to not have a goal and the points are starting to come for him too. And really the points are coming for everybody right now. Um, you know, the whole division, it, it wasn't just here. The whole division seemed to be low scoring for the first three weekends of the year. I mean, I think five of the first six Wolfpack games were one, one after two, um, you know, talk to some, some people who cover the Providence Bruins, talk to some people that covered, um, that cover Hershey, that cover Bridgeport. And it's all the same, you know, these, you know, teams are getting chances, but it seemed like nobody was able to put the puck in the net. And, um, obviously that's changed in the last four games for this, this team with the offensive explosion. And as a result, the points have been more reflective, I think of his offensive play. So Jones, we know had a good camp at the Rangers and came close to making the team, but Schneider and Robertson are also very highly regarded prospects. How do you see their progress coming along? Yeah, I mean, you you can see it. Um, you can see it with both those guys. They played together at the start of the season. And one of the things that Chris Knobloch said to us early in the campaign was that, you know, there's going to be nights where maybe we don't get the best out of these two. They're young defensemen. They're developing. They're learning. Um, but the important thing is to take those lessons, take those difficult nights and and learn from them and don't make the same mistakes. And I think, you know, that's a, a group that coming into the season – I figured it was going to be a very high event. They really haven't given up a ton. Um, the first weekend wasn't great for anybody, really, outside of the goaltenders. You could tell that the team was kind of uh, feeling their way into the season. It wasn't great schedule-wise. They had three and three. Um, you know, But since then, each weekend, the team as a whole has improved. And you know, I think Schneider is so calm out there. Uh, that's the thing that really sticks out to me. He's very calm in his own zone. There's, there's never a lot of running around uh, when he's out there. He's strong positionally. Um, you know, both he and Robertson, I don't think the point totals are reflective of the way that they've been able to help with the transition game, getting the puck up to the forwards. Um, you know, there, there's just not a lot of mistakes between the two of them. And Schneider uh, has been really good in the penalty kill, which is an area that, um, you know, outside of this past Friday against Bridgeport, where they gave up two goals on two opportunities, has been a really strong point of the team as a whole. And Schneider's been a, a pretty big part of that. And um, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, set up. Gettinger on the one-timer on Saturday for the shorthanded goal. He's not afraid to get into the play either, uh, which really impresses me. So the the third pair, as you mentioned, you said Skinner ha has been underrated and pretty good, and he's been with Tarmo Reunion in a lot. Yeah, I'm, cu I'm curious now. I don't know if you have any insight into this yet, but the Rangers did assign Libor Hayek to Hartford for a conditioning stint of what's expected to be two weeks. Do do you anticipate that that he'll be getting in this weekend? Do you have any any information on that? Haven't really spoken to uh to to coach about that to this point. Obviously, uh you know, still two days out from when we're speaking. Two days out um from the game in Springfield, which is I know it's November, I know it's early in the season, but um it's one of those games to look at, and it's easy to get excited about with those two being the top two teams in the division right now, and and obviously the rivalry between the two cities. But um you know, not exactly sure how they're gonna deploy the defense. You know, the schedule, yes, they're done with three and threes for a little while, but they'll play two this weekend, then play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for players to get in there. I would expect we will see him. I don't think he was sent down uh, on conditioning to not play. Um, so I would imagine you'll see him in the lineup. And 
again, you know, it's been a compressed schedule. Um, obviously, you know, we saw Potato was was day to day, a little dinged up back in the lineup now. So um, we'll kind of see how things go from there. But um, I would be surprised if if we didn't see him for at least one game this weekend. Yeah, that that decor. I mean, it, it's pretty loaded when you talk about one. Yeah. You know, they want to get those prospects time, but then there's a lot of other guys. That, that haven't been playing that much so far. And now you had high action in the mix. So I'm curious to see how, how that will play out. You also mentioned this upcoming game against Springfield. They're seven, one and two top of the division. Hartford is just one point back of them at seven, three and one. So overall, it seems like they, they've since what you mentioned, kind of a slow start that they've been playing pretty well as a team. Yeah. And I think you see it every weekend. I mean, you know, Keith Kincaid and, and Adam Huska, too, they were both outstanding opening weekend. Uh, the one loss in that three and three was to Springfield two to one. Um, and Huska was great in that game, gave the chance, gave the team a chance to win, um, had some power play opportunities late in the game that they couldn't convert on. But uh, in the wins against Bridgeport and Providence, Kincaid was outstanding. And really, he's been great in every game he's played this season. Um, goaltending has been so strong for this team. But, um, you know, these are two good teams that, you know, have a lot of depth. You know, Springfield has added a lot of AHL veterans. Matthew Peck has been big, but they also have a young player um, that in Scott Perunovich that's been outstanding for them. Leads uh, led the league last check in scoring. He's a rookie defenseman, so that just goes to show how impressive. But, um, you know, this team's been getting better every weekend. And we talked to PC LeBray. Uh, two Saturdays ago, the 29th of October, and they had coming off a top three to two loss to Charlotte, and, and they were getting a lot of chances, but the goals weren't coming. And you know, he had said that eventually the dam's going to break. You know, we're we're going to break out. These chances are going to fall. Yeah, it's a little annoying that they're not going in right now, but we're not frustrated. The chances are there. We know we're doing the right things. And um, the next afternoon, they went out and they scored five, and then you could see the offensive confidence that they played with uh, in, in all their games this past weekend. Obviously, Sunday was a difficult loss, giving up a goal in the final minute of the game uh, to lose in regulation to Bridgeport. But um, this team is is definitely been more confident as each weekend has gone by. I think you've seen improvement from the young players each weekend, especially on defense. Uh, and now that they've gotten some consistent lines. So the Brodzinski line we've talked about, uh, to me, has been their best line. Greco is playing at an all-star level right now. Um, that second line has come together with Barron, with Payuniemi and Ronning on his wings. Ronning scored a pair Friday. Payuniemi's got goals in two straight. Uh, but obviously, Barron is, is playing his game, and he's been effective every night. Um, you know, Cristiano DiGiacino has been really good for this team as well. Scored a goal in each of the last two weekends. Maybe not a name that Ranger fans are familiar with, but he's been solid. Um, Alex Whalen has been playing very well in a bottom six role as well. Another guy on an AHL deal that, um, you know, he brings a lot of grit and sandpaper to the lineup. He's got some skill too. He scored a beautiful goal last weekend. So um, you're seeing a lot of players now start to find their stride, start to get comfortable. And as a result, each weekend, it is really impressive to see each weekend how it just gets better and better and better. Um, you know, and now they have a good test. They're going to be building on that against a good Springfield team and and a Providence team that, as it stands right now, we'll see what happens with the roster in Boston. But as it stands right now, a Providence team with with some real NHLers on them. So um, these will be some good tests for this team, and we'll kind of see where they are uh, heading into next weekend. It's interesting because we talk about the youth uh, on defense, but when you look at the the scoring leaders for this team right now, that yeah. Brodzinski Greco Gettinger line has been their top line. Brodzinski shifted to center when Barron got briefly called up, and and my understanding is he's stayed there since. 
Yes. Brodzinski is the leading. He's the captain of the team, leading scorer on the team right now, 11 points in 11 games. Greco and Gettinger are right behind him. So so those guys have sort of been the driving force, it sounds like, for, for this team, especially from an offensive perspective. Yeah, it, you know, it was a slow start for everybody offensively, I think. Um, but, you know, since that first weekend, Gettinger's been terrific. Um, you know, that line has some size between him and Brodzinski, and they're a lot to handle in the offensive zone. And, um, you know, Greco started to find his, his stride as well after maybe two seasons that really didn't live up to what his expectations are. And, um, you know, whenever this team needs a big shift, that group hops over the, over the boards and they provide it. Um, you know, possession-wise, they've really dominated in these games. Very rarely do they get hemmed in their own zone. Um, you know, and again, you're starting to see the finish as well from guys like Gettinger, guys like Greco, who, you know, started a little slow, but they're starting to find their their stride. I would say that's the top line right now. Um, you know, we talked to Anthony Greco last week ahead of our intermission interview with him on Saturday night, and, you know, he talked about the chemistry between those guys, um, how they get along on the ice and, and get along off the ice and how it's made playing together easier. And, um, you know, he talked about the size that Brodzinski and Gettinger have and, and being able to retrieve pucks, being able to win battles. And then obviously all three of those players have skill. All three of those players have NHL experience. Um, these are all guys that have been around the AHL as well uh, and know how this league works. So, they are definitely the straws that stir the drink offensively for this team. Uh, and they have been taking, in my estimation, they've been taking those top assignments from other teams defensively. And that's opened up some things for guys like Tyroning, Lori Payuniemi, Morgan Barron. Um, you know, we talked about Waylon and Dijacino, guys like that, who are now starting to, to cash in a little bit and are starting to, fu- to get their legs underneath them. Uh, a big reason for that is the tone that's been set by that top trio. Prospect-wise, when you look at the forwards, Barron and Pioneemi, like th- those are the two guys that I think fans probably have the highest hopes for. Ha- Barron had that little stint where, where he popped up, and we know he's been a productive AHL player. He led the team in scoring last year. But where have you seen the development for those two guys in particular? Well, we've seen Barron a little bit on the penalty kill here. Um, you know, in his two-way game, obviously, you know, the offense, we know it's good. Um, came right away in the first three games, had three goals and got called up. And, um, you know, on the power play, he plays a big role in the top unit. But I've been impressed with this two-way game. Um, you know, with the responsibilities, obviously, that come with the center position. It hasn't been too much for him. Um, you know, every time he's on the ice, he seems to be in control. One of the areas that we talked to him about, he scored his third goal of the season on a redirect on, on the power play. Uh, in a shootout win over Wilkes-Barre Grant. And one of the things he said after the game was, you know, that's kind of an area that he's been working on, on the power play, working on redirections, working on uh, sometimes playing that net front spot. And he's been good at it. Um, Like I said, he scored a goal doing it. He's had other chances, had a couple of of near goals. Um, So he's been really good for this team. And obviously, like I said, you know, you know the offense is going to be there with him, and it has been there. Um, But the two-way ability for him has really stuck out to me. Um, you know, he doesn't cheat for offense. He, he, he does all the right things out there. Um, you know, and I think personally, I think it's a matter of time until he's got an everyday role in the NHL. And again, I, I haven't spoken to him about this, but you know, obviously when you get up to the NHL, you want to stay there, you know, that that's anybody. Um, so, but he's come down here and, and he's done everything he can to develop his game. And he's another guy that you've been able to see improvement from, from day one. And even when he came down, sometimes you'll see guys sag when they come down, even from a short stint like Barron had, but uh, he came right back down and got right into it. And he's, he's been a driving force for this team. 
Last thing I wanted to ask you about is the goalies. You look at the usage, and, and Kincaid has been the guy for sure. You mentioned it. Yep. He, he's played seven out of the 11 games, 9-27 save percentage, 5-1-1. One, one. Clearly, the Rangers are, are want him sharp because they know that if they need a guy in the NHL, he, he's going to be the guy that they call on. Huska, in his own right, has had three starts. He's been really good as well. His save percentage is even higher, 9-32. Then Tyler Wall who is the youngest of those guys. I think fans maybe at a certain point coming off of a a really good college career had hopes that maybe he could work his way into a potential, let's say backup role with the Rangers. He's only played one game. I think that was recent gave up, gave up three goals on, on 30 shots. It it was a win for Hartford, but just, just tell us a little bit about the goalie situation and how you've sort of seen this evolve. Well, I'll tell you, that was not an easy spot for Tyler Wall um, coming into a game against Wilkes-Barre Scranton this past Saturday, um, his first appearance of the season. And Wilkes-Barre Scranton was coming off a couple of difficult losses. uh, And you could tell that there was an urgency in in the Penguins game. And he was tested early and often in that hockey game, uh, helped held the Penguins off the score sheet until the third period. I think he got a little unlucky on two of the goals. Um, the second goal scored. He did not see the shot. He was screened. It was it was really perfectly executed by Wilkesbury Scranton. And the third goal, which Sam Poulant scored with the extra attacker, that puck had to be perfectly placed. And the way Poulant released it, where he put that puck, it, it was perfect. Um, I thought Wall played it correctly. It was just a a first round pick, highly talented player, a goal scorer making a play. Um, you know, and, and not, uh, coach Knobloch mentioned the same thing after the game that he thought Tyler wall played really well in that game. But the issue is, you know, you have three goalies in the roster. Um, it's tough to come by playing time. That's, you know, obviously with wall being reassigned to Jacksonville, um, uh, he's going to get some playing time with the Iceman, and that's going to be good for him. I think because seeing him play at the NCAA level with UMass, well, he is a good goalie. So, um, I'll be interested to see how he does with the Iceman, but you no, know, I think, Huska has been really good for this team. He had a, a goal that I think he would want back against Charlotte, but really kept the Wolf back in that game in the third period. And, you know, what can you say about Keith Kincaid? I mean, he, he's a pro's pro. Um, every single game, he gives his team a chance. He got two wins on opening weekend that, quite frankly, the Wolfpack were the second best team in. And they'd be the first, they'd be the first guys to tell you that. They did not play well on opening weekend. And he was huge in getting them two wins. And really, every game he's played, he's played well. Um, you know, they were a little bit unlucky to lose on Sunday and, um, you know, that's going to happen over the course of a season, but Kincaid's played really well. I think he was five Oh and one to start the season. So we ride a six game point streak, uh, into the loss on Sunday, but he's come in here, obviously, you know, it's a guy that's had success in the NHL guy that's been up in the NHL for, for a good stretch of his career. Um, but he's come down here and again, he's been a pro. He's been great to, to deal with, great to meet, and he's been um, he's been outstanding on the ice. Every bit what you would expect out of a veteran goalie, Kincaid's been that. And I think the goaltending's been great. I think it's been the most consistent part of this team. I think it's been their biggest strength so far. Alex, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We hit on a lot of different stuff here. You're doing a great job covering the team so far, obviously immersed in it, and I know this stuff really well, even though we're only about a month into the season. So we thank you for your time. I'm sure we'll do this again, and, and I appreciate it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Always a blast. Uh, come talk some hockey. So, you know, I'm uh, looking forward to having some attention on this team this year. This is a good team. And, you know, we keep we keep saying down here that, you know, they're 5-1-0-0 at the XL Center. It's a tough building for opponents to come into. So 
Um, you know, fans are going to want to come see this team. It's a good team. It's a fun team. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And we're back. Thanks to Alex for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll have him on again in the future. I think it's sometime later this season, maybe once the Hartford season is over, we'll feel it out and play it by ear. But it's going to be great to have a resource like him to check in with from time to time because we know that he is there on hand with the players, talking to them every day, talking to Chris Knobloch, the coach of Hartford every day, and watching every game. And we'll keep us posted on the happenings with the Wolfpack throughout the season. So really cool to have Alex on. Glad he was able to do it and appreciate his time. And now with that, we will move on to your Twitter questions. And there were a lot of them this week. I, I This quick story, I'm sure you guys have no sympathy for this. You could probably care less about my little laptop problems and plane issues. But I had tweeted out shortly before I got on a flight from Florida back to New York that I wanted to write a mailbag while I was on the plane. Got all your questions, did a little bit of research before I got on the plane, picked which questions I wanted to answer, and then spent a good portion of that flight writing out my mailbag, which was hopefully going to publish on Wednesday morning. And then I tried connecting to the Wi-Fi on the plane. Wasn't working for me. Waste of $9. Thank you very much, United Airlines. And all of a sudden... The computer freezes. I get the spinning wheel of death, and the document that I had started to write on had not saved properly. Can't get the spinning wheel to do anything. I'm waiting and waiting and trying to click out and trying to wait for it to pass, and it just would not stop this this freeze that it was in. So eventually I had no choice but to force restart the computer, tried to pull up the document in version history, couldn't find it, lost everything I wrote. Obviously, at that point, tired, home, too frustrated to try to write the whole thing again. Anyway, that's way besides the point. You guys could probably care less about that. That probably happens to me, something like that, I would say, once a season. So hopefully, knock on wood, it does not happen again this season. But I apologize to everybody who submitted their questions for the mailbag, hoping to see that story this morning. That's why it wasn't out there. But now I can take the opportunity to answer some of these questions on the show and I should note, there were a lot of good ones and a a lot that hit on a lot of different topics. Now, there were a few topics that that seemed to get more attention than others. One of them, which we talked about a lot at the beginning of the show, was how do you weigh the record versus the analytics and and the record versus the issues that we've clearly seen, whether you're talking eye test or analytics. So we talked about that a lot in the first portion of the show. Now I want to move on to some of these other topics. And, And the next question There's two people I'm going to read from because I want to address both of these things. One is at JFC1Ranger who wrote, what is the point of putting an offensive talent like Lafreniere down to the fourth line? Gallant made his point with a demotion, but it should have been one and done. Instead, Laf has become a non-entity with no effect on games. He has gotten all caps worse. It's starting to look personal by Gallant. Next question comes from at Ripley288, who wrote, In your opinion, what do you think are the reasons why Kako and Laugh are struggling to put up points where other players from their drafts are thriving? Is it simply a deployment issue, like no power play one, or is it a more complex organizational problem with developing young forwards? So I'm 
going to start with the second one here because there there is one point I want to make before we dive into a lot of layers of this. I've had a lot of fans reach out and say that Lafreniere and Kako are being outperformed by this wide margin by all these guys who were drafted the same year as them. And that is an absolute myth that I think is just people overreacting and sort of making things up in their own head to fit the narrative that they want to fit, that somehow these are failed prospects already, even though we know they're both like 20 years old. So looking at Kako's draft, right? Jack Hughes, number one overall pick, picked ahead of Kako. He has 55 points in his career. Kako only has 40. Hughes has been a more productive player. He's definitely been the better. They they both struggled as rookies, but he's definitely been the better player of the two the last two years. He was drafted higher. I don't think anybody should be overly surprised by that. You look at the rest of the draft class. Now, Kako has more points than anybody else besides Hughes. But Kirby Dock, who was selected third by the Blackhawks, he has only two fewer points than Kako. He's played significantly fewer games, like 20-something fewer games. So maybe you could say he's had a better start to his career than Kako. I, I, I don't think too many people would argue with that. But you go on down the line. Now, Moritz Cedar from the Red Wings looks like a really good prospect. They got him at number six overall in that draft. Nobody had him you know, going in the top three or anything like that. He looks like a legitimate high-end prospect, no doubt. Trevor Zegris from the Anaheim Ducks, he was my pick to win the Calder this year. Not off to a great start, but, but I like him. I like the upside there for sure. Go on down the line. Now, a lot of people in the beginning of the season were, were, were sending me, not maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but some people were sending me stuff saying that Cole Caulfield from the Canadiens was a better prospect than Kaka. Well, he's been demoted to the AHL, so he's obviously going through his struggles as many of these guys will go through their struggles because, again, the, we're talking about 20-year-old kids here. But way overblown that there's all these players in the draft that are hands down better than Kako right now. You could maybe say two or three of them. And again, we're so early in their development that that projecting who's going to be the best player long-term is still a very inexact science. So there's not like a long list of guys that have been way better than Kako. As for Lafreniere, exact same thing. Now, Tim Stitzel from, from the Ottawa Senators picked third overall in that draft. He has more points than Lafreniere. He's the only guy from that draft. But you look at what they're both doing this year. One has five assists in Stotzel. And then Lafreniere has four points, but more goals, three goals and one assist. So I wouldn't say that one of those guys is severely outplaying the other so far. And then you go down through the rest of that draft. There's really nobody you could point to except, and I'm gonna, here's my disclaimer, except Lucas Raymond from the Red Wings, 14 points in his first 14 games. The dude has been awesome. No argument here. But that's maybe two players you could say have had better starts to their NHL career than than Alexi Lafreniere. The vast, vast majority of the guys from that 2020 draft haven't even stepped foot in the league yet. So this is this is a false narrative and overreaction that there are Many players who are outperforming Kako and Lafreniere that, that, that were drafted the same year as them. I still, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you polled scouts around the league based on what they've seen in a, not even really a full season, because none of these guys have even had a chance to play 82 games yet, everybody would still take Lafreniere at number one overall, and they still believe that his upside is the highest. So no panic button here. But 
With that said, is there a problem with the development of these forwards so far? I think that's something that we need to monitor because the points aren't popping yet. Obviously, neither one of these guys is having a really good start to the season. Lafreniere does have four points, but he's had his struggles recently. He's been demoted in the lineup. Kako missed some time. I think he's had some games where he looked pretty good, but he still does not have a point to show for it through nine games. And we've talked before about, in my opinion, the third year being the big year where you want to see these guys make a jump. And and right now for Kako, this is his third year. So I do believe that this is an important year for Kako to show some progress. Now, getting back to the first question from JFC number one Ranger. I'm sorry. Yeah, J, that's it. JFC number one Ranger. The demotion, the moving Lafreniere down to the fourth line, that obviously got a lot of attention. And let me just say this off the top, that if Gerard Gallant thought that that wasn't going to get a lot of attention, I, I think he probably learned the hard way that I think in any market that would be a big deal, but especially here that's going to be a big deal. When you take a guy number one overall and you come out and say that you, number one, are going to make it a priority to develop these young players, and number two, you don't see the point of playing them on the fourth line, you'd rather play them further up in the lineup with skill guys, obviously that is a very fair and valid question to ask in that situation. So I know the question from Molly Walker from the Post got a lot of attention because Gallant did not take well to that question. If I'm being quite honest with you guys, I think he probably regrets the way that that played out a little bit. But from the standpoint of a reporter, and I tweeted this a little bit the other day, that kind of stuff is is never personal. There are going to be interviews that are more uncomfortable than others. There are going to be questions, especially tough questions, that elicit emotional responses. And that's fine. That's good. That's part of the job. If that didn't happen sometimes, quite frankly, personally, I wouldn't feel like I'm doing my job properly. I'm sure Molly probably feels the same way. So I don't think that I would make a big deal over the fact that he sort of snapped in that situation. And I don't even think snapped is probably a stretch, but he didn't react well to the question. He obviously did not like the question. I don't think that that's that big of a deal. That kind of stuff comes with the territory. It's going to happen. But there is something to be said for the fact that he was demoted to the fourth line. Only for a game, he moved up to the third line. But you have to wonder where this is going with him. I do think that Lafreniere clearly being more comfortable on the left side, and even though Chris Kreider gave it, a run of a handful of games on the right side. Clearly he's more comfortable on the left side. I don't think it's a big deal for one of those guys to be playing on the third line. That gives your lineup balance. It spreads out the scoring a little bit more and it keeps your best forwards in the positions where they're most comfortable, but they have, they've got to find a way to build some confidence with Lafreniere right now, because I feel like this is snowballed more than Gallant was hoping it would anticipated it would again that's probably why he was not pleased with the question. He did not want any negative attention on Lafreniere. But on the other hand, when you're the one that demotes him, that action that you took moving him down in the lineup is going to force the question. That's a question that absolutely has to be asked. And maybe he didn't anticipate the kind of attention that it would get. And, and now here we have a little bit more of a situation that I'm sure anybody in the Rangers organization was hoping for. But... If Lafreniere gets on track, obviously that will be forgotten, could be could be viewed as a learning experience. But right now, 
I thought he had some good games early in the season, and he's been very quiet. Definitely looks like a guy who is not assertive, who is not aggressive, who is not fully confident in his game at the at this point. So those are going to be the ebbs and flows of development. I don't think that this is any reason to panic, but I do think that when we talk about this being a week where the Rangers are making corrections and tightening things up and, and whatever they're doing to get themselves back on the right track, especially at even strength, that getting him on track and working him through this blip on the radar is something that Gallant needs to prioritize. It's absolutely something that they need to help him work through. So we're not going to get too much into the is he a bust talk? Because we, we've talked about this stuff before. It's way too early. I'm not going to address this on every single week's show. But I, I did want to touch on this because the fourth line thing got some attention. And again, I, I wanted to offer a little bit of the reporter perspective on why that's a question that needs to be asked. Why, when you think about what I believe to be his priorities when he's speaking to the media, he wants to protect his players. And again, I think he probably learned the hard way that moving him to the fourth line wasn't going to be glossed over, that that was going to be more of a story than he probably hoped it was going to be. But at the same time, I believe that him reacting the way that he did was because he wanted to shield the player from what he perceived as a potential story that would shine a negative light on him, maybe diminish his confidence even more. So I I don't completely agree with it, obviously, but... For better or worse, Gallant would rather say something that makes him look grumpy or rough around the edges or like he's not being cooperative. He'd rather be that way with the media than say something that can be perceived within the locker room as divisive or critical. And to us, it probably seems petty. Obviously, from my perspective as a reporter, I'd rather him give me some insight and information with his answer than reacting the way that he did to Molly's question. But it probably plays pretty well in the locker room, if I'm being honest. And I really do believe that that's been the motive that I've sensed from him in a lot of these situations when we're asking those type of questions. All right. Speaking of questions, let's move on to the next one. This one comes from A. Gray 2727, who wrote, Worst case scenario, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, what changes can Drury make given the no-movement clause of Truba, Zabanajad, and Kreider? Seems like he would have to be moving smaller pieces in the bottom, but what if this core of vets can't get it done? Well, that is a pretty good question because... If you look at what the Rangers have done in the last month or so by locking Mika up to the long-term extension for $8.5 million a year, by locking Adam Fox up to the extension for $9.5 million a year, you go further back from that. Obviously, the Chris Kreider extension, $6.5 million a year they're giving him. Artemi Panarin, he's getting paid the highest-paid player on the team, eleven point six. Jacob Truba, $8 million a year. Igor Shosturkin, five point six. Seven, I believe, off the top of my head, million a year. So what the Rangers have done and what Chris Drury has really pushed forward and, and, and jumped even more heads first into is taking this core and locking them up 
long term. Now, there are still obvious question marks, and there's younger guys who you're going to need to figure out a way to either retain or trade or what you want to do with them. We talked about Lafreniere and Kako, but you can go down the line with Philip Hedo. Obviously, the Vitaly Kratsov situation is something that needs to be resolved eventually, although I don't think the Rangers are in a huge rush to get that done. Keandre Miller, Nils Lundqvist, a lot of other prospects who haven't arrived yet. So, there are still guys who you have a little bit of maneuverability with and, and could be perceived as valuable trade pieces or are guys that you're going to have to eventually pay. But a large portion of the Rangers' salary cap for the next few years, three to five years, let's say, is accounted for. You can add Barclay Gaudreau to that. He's not as highly paid as some of those guys, but $3.6 million for him. Basically, what Drury is betting on is that this core, and, and the main guys in this core are Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Fox, and Igor Shosturkin. Those are probably the, the, the five main guys you would point to, and Jacob Truba, actually six. Those six guys are locked up long-term, significant money. A large portion of the Rangers' salary cap is going to go to those six in, in the next three to five years. Those guys are being banked on as the players that can take the Rangers to the promised land. Now, they're going to need development from the young guys. They're going to need to make some savvy moves to add to that talent. They're going to need to look at what they're going to do long-term at center, which has been a topic of conversation for years. They're going to need to figure out which of their young defenseman prospects are the keepers that they believe can be high-end, playoff-caliber defensemen on a team that's built to win at that time of year. But... If those guys, those six guys that I just mentioned, if they aren't high end players, the clear leaders of this team, productive players in the next three to five year window, then the Rangers are going to have a really hard time winning. Right now, what we're seeing from most of those guys, Fox and Shesterkin have been really good. I think Truba has been solid, although he's had definitely had some some lapses recently. Kreider has gotten off to a good start, but Zabanajad, Panarin. If those guys aren't high-end players, all-star caliber players, among the top point producers in the league in particular when you're talking about those two guys, then it's a hard time seeing the Rangers get to the point where not only are they making the playoffs, I think this group can definitely make the playoffs, but if they want to win a Stanley Cup, it's got to be those guys who are guys that you can count on year in and year out to be big time performers. So, you know, I guess you could talk about maybe down the line, could they convince one of them to waive a new, a no movement clause? Because most of those guys that I just named do have no movement clauses. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but if you're at the situation where you're so desperate to get rid of them that you have to ask them to waive that new, no movement clause, you're probably not getting a really great return in a trade for them. So that wouldn't bode well for where they stand. What the Rangers really need is they need those guys to be their go-to guys. They need those guys to be the people that lead this team to the promised land. They, they've built this core. And again, there are still young guys who, who you got to give a little time to develop and you're still not quite sure what they're going to be. So that could make a big difference here too. If Lafreniere and Kako top out on the high end, the way that a lot of people projected them at the draft, that's obviously going to make a big difference in a positive way. But Panarin, Mika, Kreider, Adam Fox, Jacob Truva, Igor Shesterkin, those six players are 
big money players for the Rangers, literally and figuratively. And if things fall apart or if things don't go quite the way that Chris Drury is hoping that they go, let's say they miss the playoffs this year or something along those lines, and and, and next year things don't get that much better because we know that they're really tight on the salary cap looking ahead to this offseason. Yeah, they're, they're kind of stuck. They, they, again, have really put themselves in a position where they are banking on these guys to be their guys. Now, is that a bad play? I can't sit here and tell you yes or no. Time will tell. I do think there's a lot of talent when we talk about that group that we just mentioned. I do think there are some good leadership qualities. I do think there are varying skill sets. So there's potential, no doubt about it. There's talent, no doubt about it. But is it Stanley Cup caliber talent? Because that's really what we're talking about when you ask this question. We're going to have a lot of podcasts to go before we get the answer to that question. But yeah, it is, it's an interesting thing to consider because they are, they are really locked in with a lot of these guys. Signing Mika in particular, not letting him go to free agents, but saying this is our guy, this is our number one center moving forward, was a big step for the Rangers financially and in terms of keeping this core together. And, and Adam Fox, you feel like, is obviously a no-brainer to re-sign. But you add up all those contracts. You guys can go on to Cap Friendly yourselves and do it. Those six guys that I'm talking about, that's a big commitment in the next three years for those guys. And the Rangers need them to get it done, or the Rangers are looking at a situation where they don't live up to expectations. That, that, that's that's the, the bottom line right there. All right. Our final question comes from Jackson030, a lot of numbers here, 7456, we'll call him Jackson. Jackson asks, do you know the reason Igor did not come out as the first star on Monday night? Well, this is a good way to end it. This will be a fairly quick answer. We did ask today, Gerard Gallant said that it was a stomach flu. He actually said he's had the same thing. It sounds like it's been going around the locker room a little bit. I've seen these snarky responses. I know some of you are skeptical about this. I know some of you aren't buying it. I also know that many people are pointing to the fact that Anthony Duclair, forward from the Panthers, ran into Igor, knocked him down pretty hard during that game, and that the Rangers didn't challenge him to a fight or didn't do anything over the top to send a message that that was unacceptable to protect their goalie in that situation. I am going to take them at their word that that is not the reason that Igor refused to come out for any interviews or refused to come on the ice to salute the fans as the first star of the game. But I do also sense a little bit, because we asked Ryan Strom about it today, Strom defended it. He said, listen, Duclair's not a guy who's going to drop the gloves, and I think that we have set the tone as far as being a harder team to play against with our physicality, and you know we chirp Duclair and you know yada, yada, yada. But I do sense that there's a little bit of this feeling that the Rangers haven't really had that that moment yet where somebody has to step up and really answer the bell. They've had a few little fights. Reeves actually, surprisingly, has not been in one of them when he came here with the reputation that you guys all know. But I, I do sense that at a certain point, the Rangers will want to answer that bell. They won't want these kind of questions to pop up. And I I do think that given the way that Igor has carried this team in a lot of ways, if there's anybody you're going to do it for, he's obviously got to be the guy. So the Rangers saying stomach flu, 
We're going to take them at their word. I do know. I mean, I can speak personally. I told you guys on the podcast last week. It wasn't a stomach thing. It was more of a cold, but that I got sick last week. I know a lot of people that have been getting sick recently, not just COVID. I think people being somewhat back out there is making everybody sort of these, these normal colds and flus and things that would go around at this time of year are starting to go around. So I'm not going to dismiss it and sit here and tell you that I don't believe it, even though I know a lot of people on Twitter are, are saying that. But I also do think that the the talk surrounding what happened to Igor on Monday night, the Rangers heard it and and we'll see what happens in the in the coming games and weeks and if they play the you know when they play the Panthers again or whatever if they want to do something to sort of answer the bell in that situation but I don't think it's a fractured locker room or anything like that right now Igor was on the ice today for practice everything seemed fine so with that that is going to do it for this week's episode I thank you all for tuning in we will be back next week with episode 49 creeping up on episode 50 that's pretty exciting But for now, I wish you all a great rest of the week, and I will talk to you guys next week.